Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Catherine Sprung, who is the owner at Squish Marshmallows, which are these small batch, hand-cut marshmallows made with unique flavors that really fulfill every palate, from childhood favorite combinations to sophisticated grown-up confections. And some of these flavors are apple pie, birthday party, banana pudding, Oreo brownie, peanut butter jelly, pumpkin spice, rocky road, s'mores, and it goes on and on. There's so many different kinds, and I did try them. She sent me them, and they are incredible. And everyone kind of has a different one that they like. And we talk about how this really exploded. She has a store in New York City as well as selling them online. And we go through the whole process of how this started, as I mentioned, and how she grew this company over the last few years when this company really started by accident. It's an incredible story, and I can't wait for you to listen. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. I would very much so appreciate that. Without further ado, here is Catherine Sprung from Squish Marshmallows. Catherine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes, and thank you for sending samples of the wonderful products you make for Squish Marshmallows, which are incredible. And I tried all four different kinds um, that you sent me. And I think think s'mores is my favorite, but we'll get into all the flavors and everything as well. But but how, but how how did Squish Marshmallows start in the first place? Yeah, so... The company itself, I started um, from a food blog that I was doing um, just just for fun. Um, it was kind of more of an exploring type of restaurants, bakeries, things like that, and just writing about them. Uh, you know, this was a number of years ago too, before the world of like food blogging really kind of you know <laughs> is just so saturated right now. Um, so I wasn't. I mean, I don't even think monetizing uh, then was even like a thing uh, off of something like a little passion project. But um, for me, it was just all about fun. Uh, I had just left a tech startup job. So was kind of immersing myself into this little blog and um, started incorporating some recipes in there just, um, you know, for additional content. I was footing the bill at all of these places. So um, having uh, something where I could make it for fun and then also eat it was a win-win. Uh, <laughs> in comes uh, a recipe for marshmallows, which I had never made before. And I after the process, I was just kind of like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is like a science experiment, seeing it start from one state and drastically change within a matter of minutes. Um, So the wheels started turning a little bit and I thought like, wow, let me try to just, you know, make a few different flavors and just to see how that even goes. Um, Things that I personally never had before. And I remember going to a kind of like a dinner get together with some old coworkers and I brought a batch of um, one of the ones that I made and uh, and then everybody started, there were these little tea candles that were on the table at the restaurant and everybody started to kind of skewer the marshmallows on their forks and knives <laughs> and roast them over there. And I was like, wow, this is so cute. This is a lot of fun. And one of my friends was like, I bet you could do something with this. And I was like, okay. So I, I really honestly didn't, didn't put a, a whole lot of thought into it before I was just like, well, let me just try to start something and see where it goes. So it kind of started very just purely organic. Um, with yeah. a lot of enthusiasm and then and then came all of the other stuff that comes along with it. 
Yes, which we will definitely get into. And yeah. with that initial people telling you about, oh, maybe you should do something with this. Like, I mean, yeah. what what did that look like? That process of kind of testing out and dipping your toes into the water per se for this. What did that look like? I mean, I had no idea, honestly, because I I don't come from uh, a culinary background. I don't come from a business background. So to me, it was really kind of uncharted territory and just not exactly knowing what to do and where to start. The first thing that I knew was I was like, well, I need a company name. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so that so that was that was my priority first. Um, and coming up with the logo and then going ahead and reserving all my, you know, domain social media and whatnots. Um, and then because I don't come from that sort of background, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a dumb person, but, but there are a lot of <laughs> things and, and intricacies that, that you need to know, especially when it comes to owning a food business in particular. So for me, I knew that the best thing to do was to try to reach out to people who were already in the space to try to see if I could even get some guidance or, or you know, uh, the slightest amount of, of mentorship uh, that maybe somebody would be able to provide. Uh, so in comes kind of the uh, the food blog um, because I had written about so many different places all in, you know, my own backyard in New York City. And, um, and a few in particular were in the sweets category. Now, they weren't doing marshmallows, so there wouldn't have been any like weird competition or anything like that. <laughs> um, and it was cool because, you know, this was a number of months later. Uh, so I had them time stamped. So it wasn't, you know, some weird fabricated, you know, um, thing. It was an actual nice piece that I had wrote, you know, that I wrote about these people. And so I just kind of cold reached out to some of them and was like, hey, um, you know, thinking about starting a, a company uh, in confections, you know, I I really respect what you're doing. This is actually a piece that I wrote about you. Um, would it be okay if I, you know, take you out for coffee or just email you some questions, whatever? And of course, you know, sometimes you don't hear back from some people. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but some of them did respond and were like, yeah, sure. So I was kind of overwhelmed that, you know, they agreed <laughs> to that. I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they would allow me to ask questions and offer their suggestions and their information, which is like, uh, the best crash course um, that you could ever go through because you're getting it straight from the source of people who have been there, done that, um, and are doing it. Um, so that to me was invaluable. Yeah, and with that too, I'm just curious right away as to what were maybe some of those questions yeah. you were asking them or things you were wondering about in those early stages. Uh, what the hell do I do <laughs> first? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think when it comes to um, kind of you know, the core logistics of what you should do, um, prerequisites to start a business, that that kind of stuff is a little more generic. So you can kind of figure that out in terms of, you know, um, incorporation and trademarking. But even then, you know, you, you still maybe some need a little bit of help navigating uh, in that area. Um, so to me, it was more food centric. Um, and, you know, what kind of rules and regulations there were that I needed to uh follow and what things I needed to practice. And some of those were, um, you know, getting uh, uh, certifications and uh, so that you have your license to serve food to the public um, and um, and working out of a commercial kitchen and how to go about that. So 
more of the specifics of just kind of getting your bearings and and what to do, packaging, shipping. I mean, you know, any facet of it. I I would take any information that they they could give yeah, me. Yeah, and there's so many different questions, obviously, to ask, and so many things. You, if especially if you, you know you don't have a food background, not a business background, you're going in green mm-hmm. per se, trying to figure out what the hell that you should be doing. What did the kind of initial right business model look like for you? Was it going to be selling online directly? Was it going to be having a retail store? Like, how'd you think about that side of things? Yeah. So, so if we kind of like flashed back even a little further back to when I was in high school, for whatever reason, I kind of envisioned in my mind, like one day having a cafe. Now, why? I have no idea. I don't have any business doing that. I'm in high school. Like, but I was like, oh, you know, I'm like super uh, infatuated with uh, the Food Network and I'm really into that. And I love cooking and I love baking. And I think I might want to go to culinary school, which never happened. Um, and uh, and yeah, like that would be cool. And then completely shelf yeah. that, like ne- that never resurfaced. And then flash forward. Um, and um, and I was like, well, wow, that's interesting. Like, I totally remember that. But also, I don't feel like I need to open up a place for this. I want this to purely be e-commerce. Um, and that was kind of like my initial vision for this. Just e-commerce, just selling online. Cool. <laughs> um, but then, uh, you know, being an absolute nobody in a space prior to, you know, Instagram explosion, um, you don't really have a massive platform to, um, you know, be the new person on the street and get a ton of attention. So uh, I knew that I had to take it out for, you know, literal and figurative market research. So I wanted to go out to these food markets and set up there and sell to the public and, you know, just kind of introduce the company, introduce the product and get some feedback, make some sales and get some experience and see, you know, what it's all about um, to be a vendor. And uh, so in doing that, you know, the first thing that a lot of people will ask is, oh, where's your store? Where's your store? And I was like, you want to be my backer? Like I just started. Like, right. I, I don't have a store. Calm down. Like Easy. we just started like last month. Yeah. But thank you. Um, so, you know, and, and I was doing markets for, uh, you know, a few months and then, you know, people would still ask and that's very nice. Um, but it still didn't really dawn on me that that was something that, that I should do right away. Um, until about two and a half years in and, um, you know, I had expanded into different kind of uh, avenues with doing pop-ups and doing, you know, um, catering and things like that. Um, but I was working out of a shared commercial kitchen and the hours uh, that I was allotted were not always like the, the best. And, and the situation was just, while it was a great start, it wasn't really sustainable uh, for me. Uh, I didn't have anybody working uh, with or for me um, for those first two and a half years, um, just because of the weird hours and the offbeat schedule. Um, You know, when you don't necessarily have a store where you need to produce on a, a, pretty regular basis and everything is just kind of built on on demand and orders and things like that and you know i it, it was pre kind of you know also the rise of food delivery apps and things like that so it was um it was more focused and uh and i just knew that if i 
wanted to kind of um, give this a real shot and expand in some capacity that that maybe I should start entertaining the idea of actually opening up a storefront. And that's kind of when the, the search started um, to do that. Yeah. And when, well, just going back a little bit more too then with this, those two and a half years, yeah. were you full time into this at that like right away? Or did you go like on the, on the yeah. side? Like how'd that go for you? No, I was in it to win it. And, and a lot of times, you know, it's, um, uh, it's a really, really common question when people ask. And it, you know what's wild is even no shade on anybody, <laughs> but it's crazy. Like even to this day, like I'm, I'm at year I don't know five and a half or something like that, and the shop's been open for almost uh, three years, maybe next month. And people ask me if this is my full-time thing. And I'm like, you know what? God bless you. Like if I, if I had all the time and energy in the world for this, for me to just la-di-da around and like not give this my 110, like I don't understand. <laughs> but yes, it was, it was very much because I was only, I was the only person doing every facet of the business. Like I would not have been able to, you know, I mean, I could have done it just part time, but it would have taken me, I'm sure, a lot longer to to even try to excel um, and, you know, do the kind of things that I was able to do because that was my complete focus. Yeah. And that it does depend on the business and what type of things we're doing with it. But you sure. can support yourself full time sure. and you're in, you're in New York City the whole time then uh, with that as well? Yes. yes, which is not the cheapest yes. of cities in I've heard. City. <laughs> no, I, I've heard that as well. It's it's wild. Yeah, yeah so running this <laughs> yeah. business. I mean, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I I um, so you know, it's not it's not like uh the business also started by you know just creating crazy revenue either. So for me, I was able to support myself and still today, luckily, um, I do uh, commercial voiceover work. So that allowed me to not have to run off and you know try to get you know another job or part-time work or things like that because that kind of allowed me a little bit of a cushion to be able to because I was not definitely not making was not making any money at all from the company um everything that I had was going into it it was you know bootstrap yeah. so um everything was was getting fed right into that and then Luckily, with any kind of freelance work I was getting, I was able to kind of just survive yes. <laughs> off of that. Not live any luxurious lives or vacation or anything like that, but just, you know, uh, allow me to pay my rent and eat some food. Yes, which is all important <laughs> things, especially in a place like New York City where it is yeah. so damn expensive. Yeah. Um, and with that two and a half yes. years in, explain that decision then to go into retail in terms of like actually making that happen and how that process went, finding a location uh, and deciding on which location would be the one for you. Mm -hmm. So uh, first I had to find somebody to help me do that. So I asked a friend of mine who had a, uh, a brick and mortar, you know, how did, how did you go about it? Did you, because I had asked some people and they said that they found their places themselves and God bless them. Um, but it is, especially New York real estate. Look, if you don't have a, a background in commercial real estate um, and you are choosing to navigate that space and deal with all of those things on your own, bless you. Um, for me, I was, you know, if there's something that I 
don't know a lot about, uh, or I'm that is not my skill set. Uh, you get a professional. <laughs> so, um, so I, so I took my friend's recommendation for um, the broker that he used um, and reached out, and um, and uh, it was a great situation. So for me, um, you know, I kind of was like, here are my parameters, um, uh, what I'm looking for in terms of kind of space, price, and an area. So. So in terms of location, for me, the most important thing was uh, twofold, um, uh, that it was in close enough proximity to where I live that I could be down there in 20 minutes or less yep. uh, for whatever circumstance, because the other kitchen that I was at was uh, about an hour, hour plus uh, commute each way. So um, so I, I definitely, you know, if I'm paying rent somewhere. I want to shave that down. Yeah. And, uh, and then obviously affordability. So, um, luckily the areas that were closer to where I live, uh, also happen to, uh, <laughs> fit, fit that category as well. So yeah, there, there was no grand recipe truly. Um, you know, uh, but I, I, I really always have liked the, the area that we're in, which is the East village in Manhattan. Um, I kind of always hung out here um, since I moved, and uh, it's a really uh, kind of artistic, still independent uh, neighborhood that still has some of that unique charm to it. So I figured something niche and cute uh, would be a would be a nice fit as well. Yeah, and then even like those two and a half years, then getting to that point of having a retail location. I mean, what were the things you were doing to help grow the business? So you started initially, you mentioned in like the different markets, but then what helped you grow through that two and a half years? Uh, so honestly doing a lot of those different now, look, so the lucky thing for, for myself is being in a, in a big city, uh, that also has a lot of media outlets. So, um, in doing some of these pop-ups, um, you know, it would get written about and, um, and I would get some press and things like that. Um, and then with that, the social media following also started to grow. Um, I started doing some collaborations with some other local businesses too. Um, and so there you automatically have a built-in cross promotion for their audience as well. Yep. Um, you know, truly it was very, very organic. I, I have never, you know, worked with um, a PR firm or uh, marketing. Um, so it's all just been very natural and organic and very, you know, slow and steady. Um, there was never any massive uptick or massive spike. It's all been incrementally, um, incremental growth, um, which, you know, has also given me the opportunity to kind of learn as I go um, and take that kind of time to work things out and work out kinks and, uh, you know, uh, just really get a, a handle on a lot of things that are, you know, every day there could be something new, right? Um, yeah. and, and with each additional kind of um, step up that you're taking within your business, um, there are new things to learn and and... Um, and so for me, yeah, it was, um, it was just being consistent with a lot of those things, um, making sure that there was always kind of a presence, um, 
what is it like when you're like a celebrity or something like that, you always have to worry about staying relevant. Um, so, so for me, it was just a matter of really making sure I took on a lot of opportunities, um, doing all sorts of different seasonal markets. Um, and again, luckily for the city that I'm in, uh, a lot of those things do get heavily trafficked and, and they do pick up a lot of press, um, and things like that. So, so that certainly helps, uh, you know, it wasn't like Oprah came over or anything, (laughs) but like, but, but these little small little upticks, it really helps kind of, um, maintain the momentum, uh, and kind of helps you propel a a little bit forward every, you know, every season, every year. So that, that was important for me. Yeah, and then getting that retail location too, going to that that point. So you eventually, obviously, secured a location. How long was it before yes. you got live and had had it open and ready to start business it's, itself? And what were those first kind of weeks or a few months like in the location? Yeah, so um, it took about I would say about three months to find uh, to find a location. And, uh, you know, and this was my kind of, again, my first foray into, um, (laughs) like opening up a commercial space. Um, so I I always tell people like, don't do it. Just don't, don't even bother. Um, because it is a headache. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and so the saying goes too: always, always factor in more time and money than, you know, than you think with your contractors Always. and whatnot. And, and I was like, yeah, 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 all right, cool. And, uh, lo and behold, uh, first contractor hired, fired. Um, and that <laughs> also, yeah, that was, I mean, that was like a headache and a half just Ooh. to be polite about the situation. Um, uh, you know, people will start doing things and and you're like, oh shit, this is going really great. Like, look at these walls are coming up and this, that, and the other. And then you start taking a deeper dive in and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So wait, we're looking at the plans together, right? Like, where's that? Or what happened here? What are you doing? Um, and work just started getting real sloppy. So that's when you ultimately have to pull the plug and you know, none of these things are inexpensive. So, so, um, so to have a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, time and money invested into something, you want it to come out how it should. Now I had fabulous architects. Uh, I will sing on top of a mountain about them all day, every day. And so luckily they were, they were really in my corner and, uh, they were like, we, you know, checking in, how are things going? What's progress? Like, uh, let's do a site visit, doing a site visit. Oh, fuck. What is happening here? And, and they were like, whoa, 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 <laughs> we, we got to slow things down. Talk to the contractor, blah, blah, blah. So ultimately, yes, had to pull the plug on the first one. Um, and then, and then great, cool. Now I got to find another one. And that's not always, that's not always going to be easy. Um, luckily there was somebody that I tried to get on the project initially, but they had too many things going on. They were able, thankfully, to start, but there was like maybe two, three weeks or something like that where they could start. And I said, whatever, let's just do it. Because if I keep looking for somebody else, this is going to take even longer. They have to come in. They do bids on the, on the space. That turnaround can be a week, two weeks to get numbers in. It's just, it's a mess. So, (laughs) so to me, um, 
you know, I was like, okay, great. Um, but then, you know, the project, you know, is delayed and things always come up and whatnot. So um, I was supposed to open, I thought maybe in like September and didn't end up opening until like late November. Um, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, luckily I, I negotiated for a good concession. So I had, I think I got three, three months free rent. Um, but then, you know, uh, great. But then I end up paying like two months worth of empty rent, which is just heartbreaking. Um, but yeah. it is what it is. So we, um, so finally got to, to open and, um, you know, uh, some people would come in and ask like, Oh, wow. Why, why did you choose to open so close to Thanksgiving? And I don't know what the intention behind that is, but listen, here's a word to any like customers out there and guests that enter any like, you know, uh, place, uh, be nice. <laughs> and like, yeah. and like, just like, I don't know what, if there was any intention at all behind it, but when you are like sleep deprived and you like are tapped out on your resources and then people are like asking like, what? Yeah. Cause that was my grand plan to open right before Thanksgiving. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And just ever so politely, I was like, well, this was the first opportunity that we had to open our doors and that's it. And, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's frustrating, of course, but, um, but also stressful, um, yeah. too, because of the timing of, of year, like, would I have liked a little more leeway into, you know, the holiday season than that? Surely, <laughs> but it wasn't the case. <laughs> so you just have to roll with the punches. Yeah. And then eventually, okay, you're open. Finally, yes. finally, 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 then mm -hmm. How did you, did you have a special like kind of like big launch when you opened? Uh, what did that look like trying to get customers? And once you had this retail location. No, I did the weirdest thing. People like uh, some friends of mine didn't even know that I had opened this, the store. I literally told like nobody because I wasn't even really sure myself, <laughs> honestly. And I didn't want to give my, you know, I don't have any business partners or anything like that. I hired my first round of staff ever in life. Um, and and I just had a lot of things on my plate and I didn't want to create more of a headache for myself than was necessary. So I didn't yeah. want to, um, you know, announce anything in a huge buildup and a huge grand opening or anything like that because I just like mentally could not handle it at that point. So I was like, you know what, we're just going to open the doors and like take a picture and post it on Instagram. And there we are, folks. Yeah. Um, and, and that's exactly what I did. So I pretty much just silently like just opened the door. And um, and then, of course, you know, maybe two weeks afterward, I had a little launch party with with friends and family um, at the shop. And and that was really nice. And, um, you know, but I needed all of that time because there were so many things to work out and so many things to still do. Um, you know, you I. I don't have children, but I can almost imagine that it would be in some small capacity, um, similar to, you know, right. you, you, uh, you've got this human growing and you're just like, Oh my God. Okay, great. And then boom, you give birth to it. And then you're like, cool, where's the instruction manual? Like now what? So, so there's, you know, there's this whole <laughs> buildup, but then you have to keep doing things and you have to keep learning and you have to, you know, 
keep going through all of the motions of, of all of these new things. So, you know, we're working in a, in a new kitchen. I have people making my product for the very first time, which was uh, like a heart attack on a plate. And then, you know, things aren't coming out right right away, which is also giving me ajita. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening right now? Like I have people to help me, but now it's it's making it crazier. And um yeah. you know, and just all of these things. Um dealing with, you know, having your own facility and, you know, I can't even tell you how many like leaks there have been like in <sighs> in our shop, unfortunately, because from the tenants upstairs. Um, yeah. But even those things that you don't even think that why should I have to worry about like the the tenant on the third floor's overflow toilet? Why? Because uh, that water is seeping through the boards and it's coming down and the only place it's going to exit is my shop. And yeah, oh <laughs> honestly, like I've had some real unfortunate horror stories with just things like that. So all of those things that, you know, my naive self uh, three years ago didn't realize would be happening. I, I just knew I had to take things slow and just work um, work on the foundation on on the inside first before, you know, really just making a huge publicity thing out of it. Um, but then um, but then started doing, of course, more of a push, sending out newsletters, you know, we're open guys, come visit and things like that. And and because we were kind of at the heels of um, the holidays, you know, that helped, too. So, um, you know, things just work out sometimes yeah, how, how yeah. they work out. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's like I said, there's no instruction manual. There's always suggestions and advice, but no one is in it right there with you and going through it. So there's it's it's very uncertain in terms of what you're supposed to do and how things go, and then things go wrong, like you mentioned. And and I'm wondering with with going from running the business yourself before having this retail location, then having people on board. One, like how did how did you find that team, and what was the how different was that for you with having employees? Well. Um... So I kind of asked people like, how do, you know, like what kind of, well, all right. I thought what resources would I use in trying to, you know, find a job? Um, so I kind of just posted truly like Craigslist and, um, and I, and I took it, it's, it's funny too. There's like this commercial, um, gosh, I don't know what it's, what it is. I, I forget, but it's, it's basically, and I guess we're using a lot of like, a. uh, baby analogies today. But, um, but it was like this, you know, your first, um, you know, your first kid and this mom is like interviewing this woman. She's like, Oh, I have 10 years of childcare experience and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, mm, but no PhD. And then it's like flash forward to the, um, to the second child. And like this young girl with like tons of piercings comes in, she like plops the baby in her arms and she's like, food's in the fridge. Bye. Like, so, so when you have like, when you have your, you know, your, your first, you know, inaugural, you know, set of hires, I took it like super, super serious and like would interview each one of them like for, geez, like 30, 40 minutes, like, and, and I'm not downgrading any position whatsoever, but we're talking for like a cashier position. So, so that's, that's good. <laughs> um, but was it totally like now these days, my interviews are maybe like maybe 15 minutes. Um, 
because I know now like what to look for, what to ask and things like that. But this was very, very important to me in, in, right. in these early stages. I was like, oh my God, these are the first, first people ever who are going to like be the face of like this company and work for me and things like that. So I also had not a lot of, you know, time to look because the truth of the matter is in, in a kind of position like that for, you know, front of house staff, um, and whatnot, uh, even back of house, um, you know, you can't hire them too far in advance because in that kind of work, you know, maybe they interview somewhere else the next day and they hire them on the spot to start in a couple days. Um, and if somebody needs to work, yeah. that's ultimately what they're going to do. So it, it was a weird like strategy too, where I had to do it so that it wasn't too far in advance, but it was, you know, not so close that I just didn't have anybody to work for me when I opened. Um, so it was a little <laughs> stressful, but, but luckily, um, I think that the universe was just like, Hey girl, let's throw you a bone and gave me, um, uh, a really, really amazing, um, starting uh crew and um you know um there was just there were learning curves for all of us um and you know it wasn't like i had operated this kind of a format of a business before so i really had to put on like my leader pants and like you know work the counter like alongside kind of with them and initially and you know this is how we're going to do things and this is how this is going to go um and, and train, you know, train them um, kind of live. Like we didn't really have like a pre-training before the place opened because I was like, we just need to open and we're just going to figure things out as we right. go. And we're just going to roll with the punches and do things like that. But then I also had to worry about back of house stuff too. Um, completely different disciplines. It's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, look, from from the initial hires um to today, it's it's not a I'll I'll just be honest, like HR is like my absolute least favorite part of of all of this. But um but it it becomes a lot easier because you know you know what to look for um and you make the process a little right. more streamlined and and thankfully now you know you you have your other staff do the training and and things like that um and and so that kind of that kind of streamlines things a little bit a little bit more yeah and then once you got you know you got set up with this you had you have staff in place you have people coming in mm -hmm. and then you decide to do more on the pr efforts and more of the growth like what did that look like in terms of how you kind of got the word out a bit more for the company yeah so you know i will say um that i got okay so i think i'm, I'm trying to formulate in my mind how to best how to best <laughs> put this um so totally understand you know, this, <laughs> this is a, a very niche thing. Um, and this is the first, um, you know, marshmallow company shop, um, in New York city. So I think the uniqueness there, uh, alone kind of attracted some, um, attention, um, in, in that kind of capacity. So I, I was very yeah. fortunate in that, you know, some, uh, 
some places were just, I was just, it was inbounds. Um, I, you know, I didn't really have um, a whole pitch together for certain um, publications or anything like that. Um, and so just slowly some, some press just started rolling through on its own. I remember it was, um, it was like our first week of being open. And I don't know, I mean, God bless like SEO, I guess, um, or whatever the case yeah. was. Uh, and so we get a phone call. Oh, this was actually, yeah, this was about a week, a week and a half in. And this was right um, the evening of our um, launch party. And um, and so we're, we're closed um, for for the rest of the evening because we're doing the little, the little launch party. I have two, two of my, um, two of my girls, um, you know, helping set up the place and things like that. And a phone call comes in. So I'm like, you guys keep going, I'll do it, whatever. And I see like on our little, um, what's it called? Uh, caller ID. It says like ABC. And I was like, huh? Okay. That's interesting. Mm. So I'll, and also like strange because I was like, cool. I used to, that's what I moved here for. I interned over there at ABC news. So, so I'm like, all right. Um, and it was, uh, well, uh, the show is no longer on the air, but it was, um, a producer from ABC's the chew, um, which at the time was like the pinnacle of like food shows on network television. Um, and they were like, yeah, we just discovered you guys and would love to like do um, have like the marshmallows on the show. Would that be possible? I was like, yeah. Like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> of course. So, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just trying to play it cool. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, so yes. uh, so that was, I think, maybe the first kind of like press that we had just naturally gotten. Um, and maybe it was about less than a week later um, and they had them on the show. And this was the power of that show, too, at the time. Um, because, you know, was lucky enough to have since been on the show, I think like two other times, maybe three. Um, they're really nice over there. They, they, they loved having the marshmallows on in, in different, in different variations. Um, but I will say Must be hungry too, apparently. <laughs> well, that is the whole premise of their show. So they are in of good, <laughs> they are in good company here. So, um, so uh, you know, but I think it speaks to just maybe the celebrity of the show at the time um, uh, versus, you know, in later, um, later seasons. But um, the uh, the show airs it, airing. Right. And I, I'm not watching it because I don't have a TV here. And it's just it's like, OK, great. The it opened the segment opens. It's it's I'm not kidding. It's maybe a 10 second, maybe 15 second max segment um, that they did at the uh, opening of the show. And they would just be like, oh, cool. Here's this new product and let's do a taste test. And here it is. They didn't even have like a lower third with like the name of the company. <laughs> nothing. They just said like squish marshmallows in New York City. Literally, that was it. God bless their Whoa. viewers because our phone like started ringing and people were like, hi, where are you guys? Or like, what time are you open until? Or like, how do I order? And things like that. And which also is like, uh, leads me to a whole lot of questions too. Like uh, first, how'd you find the number? Like, uh, so where you yeah. found the number, maybe you could find the address too, I'm guessing, but God bless you for calling. <laughs> like, so, uh, and also there's a website that you could, so, you know, bless people, but like, but it was just ridiculous. Like the, 
front counter who was answering these questions were like, what? How, like, how did you not? Okay, cool. So then orders, um, you know, just started just like piling in um, and uh, our subscriber list like went up a, a bunch. Um, so that was like very exciting. Um, you know, I wish I could say that that happened all the time, but, <laughs> but I think that that was right. like, that was a very nice jump start um, into being in this space and getting that kind of national uh, exposure was really nice. So, so in our next coming weeks, it was pretty awesome because we were, we were busy and there were people in and I, I hadn't done any sort of outreach. And, and I think just naturally, you know, people's, you know, certain publications and networks and things like that, you know, they, they, they see what each other are doing. And so then we would get some outreach, um, you know, to come in and do profile videos and things like that. So it was very, very um, lovely to have to have people who were interested in kind of checking us out and seeing what the place was all about and 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 sharing that with the internet. Um, and so that was <laughs> that was very that was very cool um, and also uh, great for me because I didn't need to retain any PR firms or <laughs> or pay for that. So so that that worked yes. out very nicely. Um, but then it also gave me an opportunity too to to work with people in that in the industry and um and maintain some nice relationships so that if we ever did have, you know, a new product launch or something else happening, you know, well now I have your contact information. So I'm gonna reach out and just like, you know, gently pitch this thing to you. If you're into it, cool. If not, no big deal. But here you are. Um, you know, everybody needs stories and content too. So it's a, it's a win-win. Um, and so, you know, we've had um, some times where we've had repeat uh, visits from like uh, Insider Food, um, Food Network, you know, so it's, it's really nice um, and, and very lucky too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have a unique enough enough yeah. product. Like, there's this thing that's like people are interested in, which makes it makes them want to talk about it, and that's incredibly helpful on that side of things too. And then, as you've kind of progressed along, have you done more outreach yourself to different outlets, or have you done more like advertising, or how has that kind of changed since that initial? kind of like raw influx of all those uh sure PR. yeah because it does uh, it doesn't always you know it kind of plateaus after a little while and maybe there will be you know little yeah. upticks here and there but of course the initial allure and intrigue of a brand new place you know it's it's that whole newness um so that kind of came in a nice wave initially um but then yeah you need to think as well like all right well what what else can we do um and for me, I would just try to leverage any, like I said, any kind of relationship that I had built um, and and then do the pitching on my own once once there was something relevant. Because one, you don't want to waste somebody's time um, with something yeah. just silly like, hey, you came out with a new flavor. Like, uh, unless you're, you know, like mm. Mc, McDonald's coming out with like a new type of burger that like people are like, I guess this is cool. <laughs> like just saying like, I have a new <laughs> seasonal flavor like for this place that a lot of people have never heard of at all. Like that's not interesting. So it needs to peak the interest of, you know, any kind of, and two, the thing is like, especially in this very saturated, you know, Instagram world, 
um, everybody's looking for over the top and, you know, um, bigger than life type of situations. It's not, it's sadly, but I've talked about this with, you know, friends in the food industry as well. It's not, look, if you get a, a New York Times writer, which, which has never happened, but if you get a New York Times, yet, but if you get a New York Times writer, then, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. yeah, right. Let's keep hope alive. Um, if you get a New York Times writer that, that comes into somewhere and, and, and loves the place and, and wants to, and writes about it, they're writing about not only the experience, of course, um, and the ambiance, but but primarily the food and the flavors and and all of those important details about the the taste and the food itself. Now that none of that translates in in Instagram videos, so nobody gives a shit. Sadly, and some of these publications yeah. will actually be the first to tell you that they're you know they're journalists or they're producers because. Those are not the things, you know, somebody doesn't want to, you know, just uh, hear a person necessarily just talk about how good something is or really describe, you know, that's maybe for like a food network, like show or something like that. But in these small produced videos that they're showing online, they it's very much a visual medium. So they want, they want color, they want, you know the whole grandeur of it all. And, um, and you know, that becomes a somewhat frustrating space as well, because not everything that you're doing is going to necessarily translate into that, um, to something that's very alluring and appealing for somebody to come out and cover that. Um, so, you know, unless you're churning things out all the time that are just like crazy wacky concoctions, um, you know, your opportunity for pitching isn't going to be, you know, all the time either. So if ever I came out with a new product or there was maybe um, some really fun collaboration or something like that, that seemed newsworthy enough, um, then, then that's when I would reach out um, or, or pitch. Um, And, uh, and that's just kind of the best way to do it because you also just don't want to annoy somebody also. Like, oh, my God, why does this person keep, <laughs> like, emailing me about a stupid <laughs> new flavor? Like, I don't give Catherine a damn. Again. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's just block yeah. this person. So you always want to just do it, you know, gracefully um, and with good intention because ultimately it's a win-win for for both parties if there's something interesting there. But if it's not, it's just gratuitous, then it just becomes obnoxious. Um, so, you know, then naturally you're not necessarily always going to have, you know, press circulating and, and things like that. Um, but then that's when too, you can get creative and kind of work with, um, because I don't, I don't have any budgets for conventional advertising um, or anything like that. I, you know, and a lot of people, to will will kind of echo the same sentiment that we don't allocate, you know, big budgets, um, especially if we are, you know, bootstrap businesses and we don't have investors that, you know, say, oh, oh, of course, well, we want to see this amount go to this and that and blah, blah, blah. So, so, you know, while that is a very important aspect of, you know, spreading the word and, and, um, and all of those things, you can also get really scrappy. And, and of course, too, since yeah. Instagram and things like that are, are free platforms to use, um, you get creative with how you want to use them. And, and then in comes, you know, influencers and bloggers. Um, now I will say too, that a lot of them, you know, um, 
try to monetize and they have rates and things like that. And that is incredible. But those are unfortunately people that I cannot work with um, because I don't, I don't pay. um, I don't uh, pay for that. Um, But there are lots of people who either, you know, are more of micro influencers or big influencers that I worked with when we were both kind of starting out and then we just do each other a solid and kind of like, you know, like, Oh, you know, we knew each other way back when and whatever. So they'll they'll still come in or support or things like that. Um, and, and post things. Um, and, and that's a nice little way of, of kind of advertising as well. But what I will say too is that Instagram has kind of become this like the wild west and and it also doesn't yeah. have that same uh, impact that it did, you know, a couple of years ago where you would have, you know, maybe an influencer um with a with a nice size following come in and post a couple photos and post them, tag you, geotag you the whole nine. And then you see this massive influx, you know, a hundred new followers that day, maybe a hundred more the next day. Um, and you're like, wow, that's cool, or something like that. Now maybe you'll get one or two new followers. Maybe. And and a lot of it goes to the to the whole <laughs> myth and mystery behind this algorithm and all these things and the level of engagement for everybody has gone well for most people maybe not for everybody but for a lot of people has gone down a lot too so so it's a lot harder to to grow um uh an organic following um now too um but i still think that at least, you know, um, having nice relationships with with some influencers and food bloggers um, to come in, try your product, um, post about it and share that with their audiences. Um, it, it certainly can't hurt. Even if you don't gain any new followers, that's not really, honestly, the indication of a successful business, <laughs> the amount of followers you have, con- contrary to probably what a <laughs> exactly. lot of people think. Um, it, it certainly, in a, in a warped way, allows for, you know, clout um, and, and maybe, I don't know, some kind of uh, stamp that, you know, people are looking for um, with, you know, uh, how amazing something is. Um, but, you know, having eyes on something and, you know, maybe, maybe somebody only has, you know, 5,000 followers, um, but they have a really engaged audience and maybe most of their audience has no idea about your place or your product or anything like that. And even in a flighting moment, they see it, but then maybe something will resonate and maybe they'll remember or take a look at your profile and say like, oh, you know what, actually that's crazy. Like my, I work for this company and we're actually working on this project. And I think these people would be able to, to do something for that or as a, as a corporate gift or, you know, so you never know, you never know whose eyes are floating around and looking at things. So there's a lot of value to that, that you can get creative with without having a budget for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which you have to be scrappy as an entrepreneur oh, and 100%. figure it out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. then with your company too, then, I mean, how are you looking at the future growth wise? Are you looking at multiple locations? Are you looking at different cities, just growing your current location as much as you can? Uh, there's so many different thoughts, I'm sure, but I'm just curious on what you're kind of thinking. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the landscape in, in New York city, unfortunately is, is, becoming a little bit sad. Um, there are, well, let's extrapolate that from New York city to, 
to nation worldwide. Um, you know, I think the landscape of retail as a whole is becoming a little bit of a sad space. Um, you know, uh, Forever 21 file bankruptcy. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, there are so many, I think, too, here, especially in New York, as you said, one of the most expensive places, um, you know, rents go up, um, labor goes up, and all of those things too, um, you know, push a lot of businesses, sadly, to, to close their doors. You know, there were, um, gosh, a couple a couple places um, just within the past, uh, not even full year, that were like New York institutions that have been here for like 30 years um, and, and had to close because their leases were ending. And these landlords yeah. are crazy and are, you know, asking for... Uh, just an obscene amount of of rent increase that's just truly not sustainable at all. And so it's a shame that a lot of places have to close. So I'm not looking to expand in New York City. Um, this this <laughs> one shop is quite enough for me right now. Um, you know, a lot of people will come in and, and they'll automatically ask um, – you know, if this is a franchise. And at first I was very offended by that. And I was like, oh, how could you? Like, what do you see when you come in here? Like, this was all designed by like me and my architects and like what? Um, but what was actually pretty cool about that is that um, is that it, it kind of gave me insight into maybe what people are perceiving as, wow, this is something that I could see in like, other locations. And, and it's just so well done and branded that that this could translate into multiple locations. And so I started viewing that question as like kind of almost a compliment. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, now, yeah. is that something that I'm looking to do immediately? Absolutely not, because franchising is also um, a, a pretty expensive endeavor. Um, so for me, you know, look, um, what I thought uh, three, no, sorry, five years ago when starting that I never wanted to open up uh, a brick and mortar. <laughs> and then here we are. So I've learned to not try to forecast too far um, and kind of just be agile and work in the moment. Um, you know, would franchising be something that might be interesting? It might be, but I also, after doing some research, um, you know, I I kind of considered that as a possibility um, for a moment, um, but then also realized too, not having any business partners, um, taking on something like that too um, is is a whole other whole other ball game. Um, as well. Um, and it yes. doesn't, yeah, it, but some people think like that alleviates things Yeah, you just, you just give everything over to these people and they start running things. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 not that simple. I'm glad in, in my, in my in, says the people who are ahead. selling the franchise. Like, so, so of course, you know, these firms and whatnot, um, that are kind of like acting as the, uh, brokers for this. Yeah, sure. No, no, it's great. Yeah. It's so easy. Um, but it's not. And, and, and that's a whole other thing too. Um, so, so for me, um, I think that just, allowing growth for for the shop and e-commerce and just kind of within is is really my goal and vision and what yeah possibly could come from that 
is gravy. Um, now look, uh, I don't know. Let's, let's pick a day. Let's check back in with each other and maybe another couple of years yes. and let's see where things are at because, you know, would franchising become something that, that truly does b- become interesting and, and achievable? Maybe. Look, I never say never in the illustrious words of Justin Bieber, but I, <laughs> I think that for right now, honestly, just, you know, um, that having a shop is awesome and and my focus is there right now yeah and with e-commerce and the shop I mean, there's plenty of potential i'm sure especially like e-commerce is just crazy you never know what can happen with that and i was Truly, just gonna say, yeah yeah i was just gonna say earlier too just with being in the full-time mba program right now at usc we've gone through franchising actually in a couple of my classes discussing that mm. and kind of like the pros and cons and one of the things we did was oh so case. i'll just consult with you next okay perfect. <laughs> happy to chat <laughs> um but we did we did have a case as well where it's looking like uh, like a peer bar and how they ended up doing the franchise thing and like you know the kind of the mm. headaches with that and the good things, bad things mm-hmm. that come along with it. But um, everyone has their own <laughs> their own desires and their own wishes for what they want it to be. And who knows, maybe sometime sure. down the line that changes. But uh, like I said, yeah. e-commerce, there's so much potential for growth, it seems like that. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's plenty of ways to grow. But uh, I want to be respectful of your time as well, Catherine. So where can people go to find out more about you online, in person, everything? Wonderful. So uh, they can check out Squish Marshmallows uh, online at squishmarshmallows.com. Marshmallow is spelt with an A, not an E, like mellow, Um, a common uh, common, uh, spelling error. Um, That's also why the handle across all platforms is Squish Marsh, so you don't got to worry about the Mm. E versus the A. Looking out for us. Appreciate it. Yes. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) Um, And uh, we are, if you are in New York City visiting or living, come visit us. We are in the East Village on St. Mark's Place between First Avenue and Avenue A, right near Tompkins Square Park. Um, Yes. Awesome. Those are those are all the places. Great. Yes. And I will also link up the online stuff as well and all the social platforms on the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast so people can get the notes there as well. And I'm sure we could have talked a lot longer. This kind of flew by. But everyone check out <laughs> Squish Marshmallows. And Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.